Hello everybody, my name is Daniel Emerson and I'm the Director of Global Education at Felsted School. Welcome to the first sub-series of 10 podcasts that we are going to be delivering on the subject of global education and its impact around the world. Throughout this sub-series, we will be focusing on a broad range of global topics, all through the lens of professionals who have international scope within their work and daily lives to try and unpack how global education, global competencies, and character education have impacted their experiences so far. Today's guest is Anna Romero, the Head of Sustainability and Global Education Coordinator at Wellington College. In her work at Wellington, Anna inspires a vast number of students and faculty in her work concerning global education and sustainability across school life. She is responsible for collaborating with third-party organizations, planning and delivering events, developing initiatives for professional development and for instigating new opportunities within the field of environmental protection. Anna is a passionate advocate for developing global competencies in her students beyond the school framework as she also brings her international climate negotiation expertise from her work within the Mexican government. Today, we're going to be talking about that through the lens of cross-cultural learning at school and what we can be doing better as educators in the field. Anna, a very warm welcome to you. How are you doing today? Hello, I am fine, thank you. Uh, and thank you for inviting me to share this experience with your audience. Anna, it's great to be with you. We've got a lot to unpack over the course of this podcast. Could we perhaps start um, with you talking to us about your background in global education, um, what that means to you and how it plays a part in your professional career today? Absolutely. Um, well, my background in global education really started by myself uh, being an exchange student for most of my life and always looking for these opportunities of multicultural exchange that really enrich my experience as a student. Therefore, the interest to promote these uh, in my working environments always and influencing young people to, to expose themselves to new cultures, new countries, new people, and accept the difference and be part of, of, of that uh, immersion into, into new possibilities of, of experiencing uh, other cultures. Um, so basically, um, I started to be uh, in a role where I was the representative of my school in an international network. And we were promoting uh, precisely that intercultural exchange in between different schools. Um, I was in charge of uh, international exchanges, uh, which always enrich a lot the experience of, of young people and our students always with a very positive feedback. Um, after that, we decided to move forward and um, uh, precisely start to give more form in the way we were really impacting through these experiences the life of our students. Uh, therefore, we decided to measure what was that impact, how we were really interacting with those communities that we get to have partnership with uh, internationally, how was our work being effective uh, in that sense and the learning process our students were going. 
Therefore, we decided to measure the competencies that we were providing through these co-curricular activities that are always an offer for uh, complementing what we offer as institution in the curriculum. Um, so we decided to develop a whole uh, set of, of uh, measurements uh, within a strategy that was precisely uh, looking at how global education was part of our lives in, in Wellington College. Uh, and so far, it has been a very good experience, as everyone through the pandemic, obviously, this year was affected. But we were successfully implemented, implementing new alternatives and um, I would like to share with you, for example, our most recent um, project that was precisely bringing the multicultural opportunity to interact with different portals of the world through uh, a container. <laughs> and this container basically connects us with different communities around the world. It was an amazing experience, as I said, because the students obviously were not exposed to that um, interaction and sorry, having... sorry to interrupt just for a second Anna because uh, yep. uh, just to make clear <laughs> when you're talking about a container you're talking about a space that, that oh, you brought yeah. into the school site that people can walk into yes right? absolutely yes uh, it's quite difficult to explain but yes it's a container that is shaped with all the technology and is colored uh, is painting color like gold so we call it the gold box. And um, everybody will ask, like, what's the sense of getting inside of container? Well, precisely it's equipped with all the technology that makes you feel that you are sitting face to face with those people that are kilometers away. And, um, and really start that kind of conversation that the technology is providing you and, and, and in a virtual world. Um, so it's an experience that once you are inside, you can really um, feel the emotions in that interaction uh, with that community that you sit with. Um, so it's, it's really taking the students and staff in this case through another lens of, of, of cross-cultural immersion, I would say, having meaningful conversations that once you experience that uh, environment, you leave that space with a new perspective. And at least uh, the way we measure it, um, that it was through surveys after this experience, the, the impact that we, we uh, produce in these uh, students that were exposed to this project and staff was extremely positive. Um, our expectation is, is not only stopping there, but continue that uh, relationship with these communities in a sustainable way in which we can also interact face-to-face -face at some point. I mean, you're, you're talking about some fascinating ideas that you have brought to your specific school there, Anna, with regards to students having experiences with people from other cultures and backgrounds. You talked about student exchanges there where students would go and live perhaps with a host family or at a boarding school in a different part of the world. And then you've also talked about bringing in a container on site that is installed with video conference, very immersive video conferencing equipment where people can engage with um, other individuals in completely different parts of the world. In order to get to 
to both of those points or to um, to one of those points, you know, respective of the um, various strands of, of the strategy that you were talking about there. Just to back up a little bit, why did why did you and why did your school feel that that was an important thing to invest time and energy in? Why is it important for students to have an understanding of multiple perspectives while they're at school? Yeah. Well, for us as an institution, uh, precisely uh, shaping uh, citizens of the world that are inclusive, that are diverse, that are open uh, to interact and accept new perspectives and feel comfortable uh, sharing their own views and accepting the ones from others. For us, it's, it's really important to um, involve education in a way that we cross borders in that sense. Uh, and in that, uh, we can bring significant changes uh, in the cultural matter, in the way we are exposing our students, precisely in how they can uh, acquire new perspectives, uh, not only in one topic when interacting with a young person, for example, in uh, uh, in, in Rwanda that has been a refugee or another one that is, for example, a football player in an academy in uh, Palestine. So it, it's um, it's acquiring global perspective that involves not only cross-cultural uh, competencies for, for them, but also uh, an understanding of the different ways uh, we can interact and achieve together and, and build, above all, empathy for the others. And that's, I believe, essential for us uh, to provide us an institution that uh, sees our students as citizens of, of the world. When it comes to thinking about global education, then, you've got these two perspectives. The first is the perspective of the institution which you've just talked about where you want to see global citizens graduating for example from school the second is the individual perspective where you've got for example parents and other stakeholders at a school who are thinking predominantly about success when it comes to exam results for example or sporting achievements um, or concrete things that you can, where you can identify a level of success or achievement in a particular field. Global education doesn't really come into that, or does it? And I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to, to ask here, Anna, is what value do these things have directly to the students when they maybe graduate school and go off to university into the workplace? Well, uh... We strongly believe that um, is, is exposure to this uh, globalization, basically. We are providing them with the tools to really thrive in a world that is globalized and that uh, has cultural and racial diversities, uh, that has different perspectives based on, on culture precisely. And strongly, uh, these uh, kind of projects expose them to that um, environment, social environment in which uh, co uh, there is a cultural adaptation and acceptance and empathy that at the end is important to work together and to achieve together and to lead and conduct successful practices, I would say, together. Um, 
and not to enter, for example, in, in, in cultural conflict, but try to work uh, through a cross-cultural perspective. Um, so it's a ex- strong competence that I think uh, raise awareness precisely in, in that cultural matter, cultural knowledge, uh, and the cultural skill in understanding other cultures and the interaction. And I imagine, Anna, that this is something that is important in your work when it comes to international climate negotiation um, and your work with the Mexican government. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you use these skills uh, in your work when it comes to things like environmental protection? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, no better example than than precisely the framework of, of UN and in this case of the Framework Convention on Climate Change that we usually call it with the acronym UNFCCC. Uh, and and um, it, it's so key and so important to see it as negotiator, understanding where the other negotiators are coming from, for example, uh, and especially when you are debating about essential topics that are policy and that this, this is not only affecting one region or one country, but this is, is precisely affecting or benefiting a whole population uh, that are living there. So it, it would not be... Um, ideal if we are cross-minded and, and we wouldn't be open to, to negotiate, to understand, to uh, reach uh, common agreements in, for example, in this case on, on climate change and the, the, the diverse different strands that we work on. Um, in my case, working in Action for Climate Empowerment, that is the uh, platform that motivates education, training, public awareness, public participation, public access to information and international cooperation precisely, it's key that everyone, and including especially young people, we must understand and participate uh, how all these interactions can drive us as a society, for example, to a low emission and climate resilient world. And for that, we need to understand what sustainable lifestyle means in different countries. What are the sustainable patterns of consumption and production in different countries? Um, that all of these aspects uh, become fundamental to reducing, for example, greenhouse emissions and enhance resilience and, and, and obviously to go through confronting the inevitable effects of climate change. If it wouldn't be for that exposure, for that understanding, for those competencies that um, you learn in, in negotiating in, and through environmental diplomacy, uh, it, it would be impossible to reach collaboration between all the levels that interact in these negotiations that are from negotiators to high level government decision makers. Sounds absolutely fascinating, Anna, and I know you're involving students as well in these in these types of discussions. But again, if we were just to take a little uh, step back from that, what what does climate negotiation look like on a practical level? Well, it's um, it's a very complex uh, process, uh, and and it goes throughout the year. Um, it's not only the conference of the parties that usually take place in the last. Uh, uh, time of the year that usually is November, December, 
So we work towards uh, preparing the main documents that will be agreed on the COPs throughout the year through different uh, groups of work. Uh, the negotiations, in, in at least in climate change, we have different strands of work in which you can specialize from mitigation to adaptation, action for climate empowerment, um, uh, loss and damage, so there is a great variety of finance, for example, that is essential. So these dialogues uh, that we maintain throughout two weeks each time, we reach agreements every time. So there are there are processes that are very complex, and sometimes there is a need to socialize all these all these elements. And in this case, the the strand of action for climate empowerment is the element that help us to. Uh, translate all this uh, complex language into the normal one that a, a citizen could understand easily and promote then participation. Um, so if I may explain, when you arrive to the, to the I will put that as example, the, one of the COPs, you arrive to the COP very early in the morning, you start having meetings uh, continuously uh, to agree and negotiate on, on, on the different papers that are being discussed. Uh, usually we have two weeks, the first week, is uh, basically to agree and polish all these documents. And the second one is a high level um, a series of meetings where most of the decision makers are there uh, to take on further negotiations in more clear points and then agree on those. Um, and usually we work throughout different bodies. Uh, there are observers of the negotiations that are essential uh, groups that observe the process and the transparency of the negotiations. So we have Yongo, for example, that is the youth group of interest that follows the negotiations, and they always uh, put in the eye which areas need more work, for example, and, and we interact continuously. Uh, there is another one that is the Ringles that are the research areas. Uh, and and in, in, in that sense, there are different groups of interest that really nourish the whole process. Um, so it's a complex process that is really exhaustive uh, and really uh, time demanding. Sometimes uh, negotiators are not considered that we are working enough and, and, and that there is no agreements uh, that are fulfilling the the current crisis that we are going through, but is that complexity of reaching agreements among all the countries that are members of this of this convention, and it becomes quite complex. Uh, but I wouldn't say impossible. Every time we advance uh, in in reaching agreements and and trying to follow what is possible uh, and and setting the the parameters in which countries can design their own policies and then translate that into actions. So thanks to these uh, different processes are going on in different countries and, and I believe we're advancing in tackling the, the, the process of, of how climate change is, is happening nowadays. Which is incredibly valuable work, of course, Anna. You, you talked um, earlier on with me about um, taking students to these conferences. Yeah. What does that experience look like for them? Um, how much are they able to get involved and what do, what do they take away from that experience? Well, I, I believe it would have been great if you could hear directly from them, but um, 
it is uh, it has been an amazing experience they worked very hard to gain that place first of all there was a whole process of selection going on uh, uk um uh, base uh, so nationally they were competing in between each other to to reach for those places uh, so the students that went there are those that are truly interested in the process, passionate about them, the, the, what's going on, really concerned about the topic, that are proactive in really proposing alternatives in how young people are raising their voice. Um, they were very creative as well in how to track attention. So we were very lucky that uh, we presented different um, projects to gain a space in, in the green area. So uh, there are two areas in the negotiations. One is known as the blue area and the other one is the green area. The blue one is for negotiations and negotiators to negotiate. And usually the official pavilions of countries are there hosting different events uh, and high level uh, meetings and so on. And the green area is the one that is designed for the public to have access to different talks, exhibitions and so on. So we were given a space um, uh, in this uh, area of exhibitors. So we were having a stall for the UK SSN. And it's worth mentioning that lots of teachers work together to bring these students to plan activities, to plan projects together. So it was a joint effort in between teachers supporting students, because that's our main uh, target, to really uh, empower youth for them to take action and we become facilitators of that process. They run, for example, an exhibition in uh, designing uh, uh, art and presenting that art through t-shirts. Uh, and it was amazing because people were able to see the t-shirts and see what were the concerns of young people in regards to climate change. Uh, through that experience, they managed to interact with lots of different actors that were visiting uh, precisely the green area, and they met lots of, of important people, like the Secretary of, of uh, Education, among many others uh, that were visiting the green area. And three students were selected to participate in high-level uh, panels, for example. So that exposure, that experience, I must say uh, that from what I have heard from them has been extremely powerful for them to continue committed to these to these uh, actions and, and, and to this kind of commitment they feel now to pass on the voice to other young people. As for my students that were part of this process, uh, I can just tell that they have been amazing and not keeping the experience only to themselves. Um, they have been going around in different schools that are partners of us and giving talks, talking in assemblies uh, for young people in primary schools and, and sharing what is to be part of this process. Anna, uh, once again, thank you so much for, for sharing this student experience. I'm wondering if we can just uh, wrap up uh, our podcast for today um, by thinking about ways perhaps that schools are able to continue engaging in this dialogue and what schools and educators specifically can be doing better to inspire young people, not only within the scope of environmental uh, protection, but also with some of the other things that we've been talking about as well, particularly um, 
learning about multiple perspectives and different cultures around the world. All of these things, of course, tie in together. But have you got any words of, of, of advice or things that you'd like to see more of in the sector? Absolutely. Um, well, in, in my personal experience as educator in the field, I have always uh, promoted the uh, curiosity in my students to approach and question what is happening, why this is happening, but also for them to take the initiative and support them in what they propose to take further action. So in, in a way, I'm promoting action learning. I'm quite lucky to have a sustainability program in which they create their alternatives. They fail many times, but we provide the tools for them to stand up and experience again how to overcome the challenges that are part of the reality when proposing this kind of, of initiatives. Uh, something important as well that I, I believe it would be great for other educators to do is, is, is precisely motivate interaction and dialogue in between different schools, because different schools have different perspectives, uh, and that's extremely valuable when they get to interact with, in between each other and they speak their own language as young people, we really promote um, uh, collaboration in between them many times uh, and that was that's our experience with with the UKSSN uh, everybody is very welcome to to approach to us we have different uh, regions that are working in the same topic with the same strategy uh, but as well uh, it is promoting that interaction and that dialogue in between young people, and then for us as educators, the commitment to support them, to empower them, and to really let them take action. Uh, I believe those are the key recommendations, I would say, that have been quite fruitful and successful for my case. Anna, that was a very concise uh, answer to a very broad question. So I'm I'm truly grateful and appreciative of that, but also of your time um, and your energy and enthusiasm today. It's been absolutely wonderful talking with you. Uh, thank you so much indeed for being a part of the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Felstead Talks podcast series. We hope you enjoyed it. Our next episode is coming out soon, so don't forget to follow and subscribe so you can stay in touch. 